Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Jennifer Roth. Last week, we began a uh, series on Jonah. Not necessarily everyone's favorite character in the Bible, but certainly one that we identify with more than we probably want to admit. And Steve last week uh, laid the groundwork for the series and, and some of the information about Jonah that's helpful for us. And if you didn't hear that, I would really uh, encourage you to listen to the podcast or go back and look on the archives of live stream um, because it was just a great foundation for the series that we're gonna be doing for the next few weeks. And one of the facts that was so fascinating to me and what he shared with us last week was that Nineveh, The city that we're going to learn that God told Jonah to go to um, in ancient Nineveh is actually on the site of present-day Mosul, where the heart of Isis is. And it's isn't it fascinating that these ancient places that we read about in the Bible actually exist and have physical locations, and that these modern-day places that have strife and trauma and trouble have ancient history, and that that, that it's connected in some way. And that, that part of it is really fascinating to me. And yet the story of Jonah is one that is probably one of the hardest in the Bible to believe. If you talk to someone who says, yeah, I think there's good principles in the Bible, but I just can't really get behind that it's God's word and all of it is true, they will most likely bring up stories like Jonah or the global flood or or that kind of a thing. And while I'm not going to take the time to try to prove the truth of the Bible to you today, I do want to read a little story that's been documented to help us as we launch into the story of Jonah. So back in 1891, there was a whaling vessel called the Star of the East. And the Star of the East spotted a whale and lowered two boats to go get the whale. Now, I don't know much about whaling. As a matter of fact, I I saw parts of Moby Dick, and that's kind of what I'm drawing from as I imagine the story. But apparently, one of these boats that was lowered harpooned the whale, and the other boat then goes in to attack the whale. And in this particular instance, the boat that went in to attack was thrashed by the tail of the whale and was overturned. And one of the sailors drowned, and the other sailor, by the name of James Bartley, disappeared and was not seen again. The whale was killed. It was brought to the side of the boat. The sailors spent that day and most of the night getting the blubber off. And the next day is where I'll start reading the story to you. The next day, they attached some tackle to the stomach, which was hoisted on deck. The sailors were startled by spasmodic signs of life, and inside the stomach was found the missing sailor, doubled up and unconscious. He was laid on deck and treated to a bath of seawater, which soon revived him, but his mind was not clear, and he was placed in the captain's quarters, where he remained for two weeks a raving lunatic. I can't say I blame him. He gradually gained possession of his senses. At the end of the third week, he had entirely recovered from the shock and resumed his duties. His face, neck, and hands were bleached to a deadly whiteness and took on the appearance of parchment from the gastric juices in the stomach. Bartley affirmed that he would probably have lived inside his house of flesh until he starved, for he lost his senses through fright and not for lack of air. Bartley is also said to have explained that after being hurled into the sea, the foam rushed about him, evidently from the lashings of the whale's tail, and he was drawn along into the darkness and found himself in a great place where the heat was intense. In the dark, he felt around for an exit and found only slimy walls around him. Then the awful truth rushed into his mind and he became unconscious until the seawater bath revived him on the ship's deck." 
a documented instance that tells us that indeed a human can survive in the belly of a whale. And yet even without a documented instance, if you and I serve a God who we believe created the earth and set it on its foundation and keeps it spinning on its axis, If we believe that we have a God who dazzles us with the beauty of his creation, who can heal the sick and bring sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and raise people from the dead, if this God can forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, then is it too much to believe that he could send a storm to pursue his prophet who was running away from him and then send a whale or a big fish to swallow that man and provide a way of life so that he didn't drown and bring him back to land? Is that too much to assume of a God who could do all the rest of the things that we believe? But I'm getting ahead of myself. We are gonna read this story together and it's found on page 1,451 in your pew Bible. Jonah is one of the minor prophets kind of towards the end of the Old Testament. This series that we're in is called I Am Jonah because we're looking at this from an aspect of what can we learn about ourselves and how we relate to God as we look at the story of Jonah. So verse one, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. And in this context of I am Jonah, I know that I've already lost some of you. Because the first line nine says, the Lord gave this message to Jonah. And some of you would say to me, I don't get messages from God, Jennifer. Not audibly, not inaudibly. And I know we talk about listening to God around here, but it's just kind of hard for me. And I don't know that I recognize God's voice. And can I just say that I don't want to lose you in the first verse of the chapter. So let me point out that we do have a message from God. It's called the Bible. It's his written word, it's his holy word, and it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We have been given a message from God. It has stories that teach us and show us about the nature and the character of God. It has teaching that show us the way to live and laws and rules that show us the upright way to live and how God created us to live. This is a message from God and we can run from it or we can run to it. And so like Jonah, we do receive a word from the Lord. And we know from the teachings of Jesus that when he was getting ready to leave the earth after his ministry and his resurrection, he said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. I will ask the Father and he will send the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who will remind you of what I have taught you and who will convict you of sin. And so there are times that we sense a stirring or a nudging inside us, something from inside that tells us that we are hearing from God. The Holy Spirit is stirring something in us and we can hear the message of the Lord as he guides us and directs us in our lives. And so we do have a message from the Lord. Even if it's not like a prophet who was told to go to this place and say this thing, we can still continue to read and apply the truths that we see in this story. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and he didn't want to. So in verse 3, It says, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Jonah was hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. This is the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. This is one who's referred to as the God of heaven's armies. And Jonah thought that if he got on a ship to Tarshish, he could get away from him. And yet we saw in Psalm 139, and we see it again in a different translation behind me. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Jonah knew this, and yet he was still running. There are things that we know, and yet we act irrationally according to what we know. 
We can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. And here's Jonah thinking he can get away from God by getting on a ship to a different place. But God pursued Jonah. The Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Here's the picture. Jonah has run away from God. He can't get away from God's presence. God sends a storm, and the storm is so furious that these weathered seamen, the captain and his sailors, have already thrown over the cargo. They've lost their entire productivity for this particular voyage, just trying to stay alive. And the captain goes down into the hold, and he says, how can you sleep? They're shocked that Jonah can be sleeping. Have you ever wondered, how could he sleep? (laughs) How was it that Jonah was asleep in the hold of the ship? Was he just, was it sleep of sheer exhaustion? I mean, from the moment he heard the word Nineveh and the scramble he had to make to get on the ship to get away from God, it's, it's exhausting to run from God. Was he just exhausted? Was it the sleep of ignorance? Was he hoping that if he could sleep, perhaps God's conviction was still on Jonah's heart and mind, and, and, and this deep sleep is the sleep of, no, 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 I'm not listening. Was it the sleep of of peace? Did he think he had made it? Whoo, on the ship, got away from God, can't see me now. Whatever kind of sleep it was, it was the sleep of, I don't have to think about this right now. Right now, I don't have to think about the fact that God called me to do something I didn't want to do, and I rebelled, and I ran, and I am going the other way. I don't have to think about the fact that the call that God gave me was dangerous, and was not something that I wanted to do. Steve mentioned last week that he didn't want to preach to those people. He didn't want them to hear of God's judgment because he didn't want them to repent and receive God's mercy. And he didn't have to think about that while he was sleeping. And you and I, I think, do the same thing. Maybe we don't get on a ship to somewhere, but what is it that we do to get to that mental state where we don't have to think about fill in the blank? We don't have to think about God. Perhaps for some of you, coming to him for the first time, you ran for a long time. You didn't want to think about, you didn't want to come to grips with the fact that you had a need and you needed a savior. Some of you are maybe in that place today, running from him initially. Some of you came to God, you admitted your need, and then as you walked with him, there were things that became clear and you've been running from him for a while and you don't want to do life the way God is calling you to do life. There are things that we do to dull our senses and to numb our feelings so that we don't have to feel the pain pain of life, or the confusion of rejection, or the questions about a relationship that isn't working well. And what are those things? I think that's what fuels most addictions, or compulsions, those things that we do compulsively, and and we don't have control anymore. Or the workaholic who stays long past the nine to five, or the person who's just busy and and, and prides themselves in being hugely productive. And, And these are not bad things. Work is not a bad thing. Being productive is not a bad thing. There are things that we do to relax. Entertainment, books, music, movies, video games. They can all be a healthy activity that turns into something not good when they are facilitating our running from God like Jonah. And I can't tell you what that is. I can't say do this and don't do this because we're all wired so very differently. But there's a question that I've heard that I think helps with this. When we are relaxing, when we need to be refreshed, we sometimes call that recreation. 
And my question is, with the activities that you choose in your life, is something being recreated in you? Is something being recreated or are you escaping? And are you numbing feelings, fears, something from God that you don't wanna hear, a relationship that you don't really wanna invest in anymore because you're tired and you're weary and it hurts? We, like Jonah, have ways of seeking escape. And yet it's easy to go about our day and not see it for what it is and not see ourselves doing what we're doing, running from God. We pick it up in uh, the end of verse six. The captain said, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. You'll notice if you're following in the text that that is a small G God. That's not a capital G God. The captain didn't know Jonah's God. He didn't know the God who created the universe. He knew of God's, and, and pretty much what we see happening here is the sailors are just going, we got a problem and we're trying to problem solve and you pray to your God and we'll pray to our God and we don't care which God helps us, but if we're not gonna live if somebody doesn't step in. The crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. The crew recognized there was something supernatural about this storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. And then they just pepper him with questions. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Do you hear it? These pagan sailors understand better than Jonah that something supernatural is going on here. And Jonah's eyes begin to be opened. He says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the capital G, God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it, they groaned. These unbelieving sailors say, why did you do it? What were you thinking? Friends, when we try to escape from God, it doesn't just cost us. At what expense was Jonah running from God? These sailors have already lost their entire cargo, and they are in danger of losing their lives. And when you and I run from God, at what expense to our family and our friends, let alone our own soul, and the people who God would have for us to influence, but we're not even noticing because we're buried in sleep, down in the hold, trying to remain in a place where we don't have to think about the things that are painful and hard to think about. Since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. And Jonah begins to see and take responsibility for what he's done. He begins to see the expense that it has cost others that he has run from God, and he begins to turn in the direction of what is right. He begins to turn back to God and the calling that God had on his life, no matter what it costs. I know that this storm is all my fault. And friends, we are called to do the same thing. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it's stated very simply like this. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Friends, we are not perfect. I am not perfect. I sin. You sin. Being a Christ follower does not mean that we never sin. Being a Christ follower means that when we become aware of what we have been doing, that we have been running, that we have been disobeying, will we turn? Will we turn from evil and do good? Will we seek peace and pursue it? Will we do the right thing? When? 
Will we do the right thing? For some of us, that means getting help with our addictions, admitting that we have a need and that we need help in getting that help. For some of it means confessing that we have compulsions and we are not in control and we need help. Maybe it means coming home from work when the workday is over and engaging with your family. Maybe it means letting go of the busyness of your schedule and allowing for some space during the day to just be and be present with God and let him speak, to be present with the people around you. I know that there have been seasons in my life where what it meant was I needed to let some laundry stay dirty and let some dishes stay dirty in the sink and be present with my kids and be present with my husband when he came home from work and not be so busy distracting myself from the realities of my world that I didn't even open my eyes and see the people that God has placed in my life to love and to care for. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's discovering that your remote has an off button. And there are people in your world who would long for you to figure out how to press it. When we are in our escape numbing places, we are not present with the people in our lives and we are not present to God. And when we turn, it's a time that we turn and we say, God, I recognize what I've done. And then we allow him to help us make the move. Now is the time to do the right thing. But as I continue on in this message, please do not hear this as a message of do the right thing by your own strength. We turn and God provides. And if you find that you're recognizing a place where you're stuck and you're being, God is bringing to mind a place that, that you have pursued an escape, can I just say that one way to turn would just be to tell a friend that, you're, that you have a need and to confess what it is that you're struggling with? Another way might be to look into the life path groups here at Salem Alliance, which are eight-week groups that, that walk with people who are stuck and admitting that they're stuck. Another way might just be to come up at the end of this service when I offer a place for prayer and tell somebody, I need you to pray that God would show me the way to turn back to him and to face the ways I've been escaping. We don't do this on our own. We don't do this on our own strength, but we turn. And let me pause here for a minute to say, I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself because I have escape numbing behaviors that crop up on a fairly regular basis. And as we were sitting in preaching team brainstorming, what are the ways that modern day, current day, we try to escape from God? One of the guys said, well, you know, like binging on Netflix episodes. And I kind of went, oh, sure, binging on Netflix episodes, huh? Because that's my deal. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, months ago, uh, I had foot surgery, ankle surgery, and so for about six weeks, um, I had a really good reason for sitting on the couch with my foot up. For two of those weeks, I was mandated to be on the couch with my foot up above my heart, and I watched a lot of Netflix and YouTube and that kind of stuff, and, and, and I think there was grace for that. <laughs> but it's three months later, and I don't have a doctor mandate to have my foot up anymore, and I'm still on the couch way more often than I want to be binging on Netflix episodes. It's my escape. So as I prepared to preach this sermon to you, I, um, it's been a humbling, humbling experience for me this time around. So will we turn? Will we do what's right? Will we admit that we've gotten off track and we want back on track? You see, when God pursues us, it's not necessarily comfortable. 
When I'm on the couch watching one episode, and then I have the opportunity to click the button to watch the next episode, and then the next episode, there's something that rises up in me that's uncomfortable. And even though I really want to just sit and watch the next episode, there's this thing that makes it not very comfortable. It's called conviction. (laughs) And in Jonah's case, it was a storm. And in your case, it might feel something different. But, you know, we read in Psalm 139 that God hems us in behind and before. That hemming in, those boundaries that he set, that pursuit of us is not necessarily comfortable. And yet, are you hearing that it's his grace? It's his gift. The storm in your life, it might be God's gift to draw you back to him. That pain that you feel, the fear that you feel, the, the, the reluctance that you have to turn back to him, that might be him prodding your spirit and making it so uncomfortable to stay where you are that you will turn and find what he has for you when he delivers you from the places where you've been stuck. So Jonah admits that the storm is his fault, and in verse 13 we find that the sailors don't really want to throw him out yet. The sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. Do you hear it? These pagan sailors understand God better than Jonah and perhaps better than you and I sometimes. See, sin has a way of creeping up on us. Sometimes we think that we're just gonna have immediate, you know, sin is gonna have immediate consequences. And it's not like that. Sometimes the consequences come over time. But these sailors understood that there were consequences for their sin. They said, don't hold us responsible for his sin. And they understood that there was responsibility for causing someone else's death. And they said, don't hold us responsibility for, responsible for his death. And they understood that God was good even in the midst of a storm. Friends, the world needs us to face our escapes and to turn back to God and to live in obedience to him because we who call ourselves Christ followers are the only reflection of God that they are able to see in this broken world. The world needs us to obey and to demonstrate a life that is different. Paul said it in Philippians this way, Philippians 2, verse 15, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Can you agree with me that we live in a dark world that needs the light of God? But if you and I don't look any different, how can they recognize that God has something to offer them? But when we live as shining lights, when we live in purity and obedience, then we shine because we live different than the world around us and the culture around us. When we live according to the words of scripture, when we follow the integrity and the morality of scripture, when we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, when we love our enemies, when we live with sexual integrity, when we obey God and we don't gossip or envy, when we we deal with our anger and and we treat people with kindness, when we clothe ourselves with compassion and humility, when we enter into God's grace, we look different than the world around us and we have something to offer that they need to see. Because this is what happens. We look at verse 16 and it says this. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. When we obey, 
when we face our fears and our pain and the conviction of God and the things that are challenging, even when they don't make sense, Jonah didn't know he was gonna live through the storm. By throwing Jonah out into the midst of a raging storm in the middle of the sea, it was certain death. He didn't know that God would send a big fish. We don't know how God is gonna provide, but we're called to obey and turn anyway because he does provide. That's what we see in verse 17. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. Isn't that fascinating? The Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Next week, we're gonna be talking about the conversation between God and Jonah while Jonah was in the belly of that big fish. But for today, what I wanna point out is the fish was God's provision. Yeah, it was dark, and it was hot, and it was slimy, and I'm kind of claustrophobic, and I don't even like talking about it. (laughs) God's pursuit isn't necessarily painless, and God's provision isn't always the way we expect it to look. But the fish was provisioned so that Jonah didn't die, he didn't drown. The fish was provisioned to get Jonah back to land, back on track with the calling God had placed on his life, and the fish was provisioned for Jonah to get back to God, for his heart to be back in alignment with the God who he served. When God calls, he provides. When God calls, he watches out for us. When God calls us, he is present with us. In Matthew uh, chapter 28, you're very familiar with it. Um, At the end of the verse, Jesus is just getting ready to return to heaven and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations. And as he's giving the universal calling to Christ followers, he ends it with these words in verse 20. Be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's this this presence of God coming up again. And see, in the earlier part of our story, the presence of God felt like a threat. Jonah's trying to run away. God says, you can't flee from my presence. It's like the Santa Claus variety of God, right? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been good or bad, so be good for goodness sake. I think some of us have grown up with a Santa Claus God. He's all-knowing, he's all-present, he's all-powerful, he always sees you, so even when your parents don't, don't be bad because Jesus sees you. And we've got this idea that God's present is a threat to try to keep us in line. Friends, God's present isn't a threat, it's a promise. It's a promise that in this broken world, in the stormy seas, in the messes that I make that are my fault, he's present with me. And he's providing a way out for me. In Romans, it says that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While Jonah was still on the boat and being thrown into the sea, God sent a fish. While I'm stuck on the couch binging on Netflix, God provides a way out for me. It's not easy to face the risk. When we obey, when we turn, we risk facing our fears, we risk ridicule from others. Quite frankly, as Christ followers, we risk being seen as unintelligent. There are people who would say, if you believe a story like this, there's something going on. We risk persecution or being mocked. And yet when we weigh out that risk and the possible reward of our souls being at peace with God, facing our escapes and being able to engage in a healthy way with the people and the God around us, It's worth the risk. I've heard faith described this way. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K because if God doesn't show up, we look D-U-M-B. 
Faith is spelled R-I-S-K because if God doesn't show up, we will look D-U-M-B. And friends, I don't want to look dumb. I want people to think that I'm capable and intelligent and, and sharp, and yet there are times when God calls me to obey or, or to face a fear in my life that I don't understand how it's all gonna work out, and I don't know what it's gonna look like. And that's the risk that we're invited to take. That's the risk that is being a Christ follower. And you know what? God has never failed me yet. And something has grown in me that is less and less concerned with whether or not you think I look dumb and is more and more concerned of being a vessel of God's calling in his kingdom and obeying and following, even if I can't see the way it's gonna work. And I don't do that perfectly. But when he gives me courage, I find that I'm willing to step out in ways that I didn't used to be willing to step out because I've practiced stepping out in faith and now I have a foundation that has been laid that I can, that I can grow on and build on that if God answered me here, here, and here and he showed up here, then I know he'll show up here, 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 and here and I can step out more often in faith and take that risk of obedience and of facing the places where I have failed. What we saw as we looked at Jonah, I just wanna summarize quickly, because sin has a progression and it's predictable. What happens is we run and God pursues. And even though we know we can't get away from God, we try anyway, and he pursues and his pursuit is not always comfortable, and yet even when it's painful or not comfortable, it's still his grace and his gift to us. And when we recognize and embrace that, then we turn. And when we turn, he provides. We don't have to figure out our way back. Jonah didn't have to summon the fish himself. God provides. I wanna tell you how God provided for me this week. Because uh, this week was a really busy week for me. And what happens for me is when, I, uh, when I've had a real busy week and I kinda come to a place where I have a break, I, I wanna relax. And it's a healthy need to relax, right? And yet, as I've confessed before, my relaxing can sometimes turn into a compulsive way that I then call a crash instead of just a relax. And so this was one of those weeks where I turned to my escape Netflix episodes more often than I would've wanted to. And I woke up yesterday morning and I was battling shame and being really aggravated with myself and thinking, I'm supposed to preach tonight for crying out loud. <laughs> and I, I sat down on my couch in the place that I go to talk with Jesus and I, I grabbed my journal and I just wrote and wrote and wrote about all the yuck that I was feeling and the mess that I had made and how I just, I don't like it when I finally realize where I am, that I've run and I've turned to those escape places. And so I'm journaling with God and I, and I read some things in the Bible and I, and I, I sit still for a little bit and I, I notice a, a devotional book that I bought this last week and I've not read it before. And I open it up to April 9th and here's what I read. Don't be discouraged today. Yes, you're aware of your weakness and failures, but for each of them there's forgiving, transforming grace. And it went on to point me to the scripture where Paul talked about God's grace being sufficient for me. And as I went through my day, I began to just kind of rehearse this idea that God's grace is sufficient for me. And I thought, do I believe that? Do I believe that God's grace is sufficient for me even when I'm the one who made the mess? And I have to come to the place where I say, yes, God's grace is sufficient for me and God's grace is sufficient for you. Let's pray. Father, we are your children. 
We're here in this place because we love you and we want to follow you. We want to learn more about you and learn how to follow you. And yet we're human and we have sinned. We fall short of the glory of God over and over and over again. And you rescue us and provide for us over and over and over again. God, may we know that we can't outsin your love, <laughs> that you will always come for us when we turn to you. You will always provide the way back to you and back to the calling that you have on our life. As we spend some more time in worship, would you continue to open our hearts to what you are saying and show us where you are calling us to follow and obey in the light of your grace and your provision. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.